And good afternoon from Maui. It's Michael with this week's The Ageless Wisdom Mystery School webinar. And this week we're going to talk about really the heart of all that is mysticism, uh, the heart and soul of really all that is religion, what religion attempts to be about or aspires to be about. It's the heart and soul of all philosophy. It's, uh, to some of us, really the only thing ultimately that's true, and that's love. Uh, it's a real good time to talk about such a basic concept, as I think we've all felt a big uh, sigh of relief and uh, the winds of change this week. Uh, today, for those who might be listening at some point in the future to a replay, is November 9th of 2008, so we're less than a week into the whole idea that Barack Obama could be the President of the United States. He indeed is now the President-elect, and uh, gosh, it's uh, it feels different. The optimism, the enthusiasm, the what in Hawaii we call the aloha, the uh, just the feeling of unity and harmony, of uh, enjoying an oceanic sense of spirit and optimism, enthusiasm, and like, damn, maybe we really can rescue this constitution and resurrect this nation and uh, hand it over to some smart people. So <laughs> it's so refreshing to hear intelligent people. Uh, talking to us as if we're intelligent, too. So there's a lot of hope and a lot of joy uh, this week, and I'm sure you're feeling it. And again, uh, I think it's important to remind ourselves, if if you fall into this uh, uh, position that you might share with me, I don't really see any of this in political terms. I know it can be and probably should be, uh, seen in political terms, and to some extent, I guess it's political. Uh, wasn't it Aristotle that said uh, all uh, human events are essentially political, or the human nature is essentially political in nature? I suppose you could make an argument for that. But I, to me, it's not about a Democrat or even this one fellow, Barack Obama, but uh, as we discussed uh, last week, and Steve and I also on our uh, audio premium audio program Finding Yourself in Paradise talked about just this wave of hope you know rising like the phoenix out of the ashes this is the classic rising of the phoenix flight of the phoenix you know the rebirth uh, the resurrection and today our topic love as redeemer is going to be about that now love comes in many frequencies uh, as I indicated in the newsletter this week, we have probably the lowest frequencies of love would be lust or erotic and still rather self-centered uh, kinds of longing. Uh, but there are higher frequencies that are more refined. For example, romantic love is much more caring than the lusty, more erotic stuff. Not that that's bad. I'm just saying there's an evolution here. That's more toward the animal instinct end of things, you know. Uh, very low chakra first and 
and second chakra at most. Some would say first, some would say first and second, but pretty basic fundamental animal drive. Hard to even call that love, but I think that's where it has to begin, you know. And then the higher frequencies of emotional love and romance, deeper caring, still a longing, though, for connection, for attachment, or reaching out. If we understand spiritual love as the longing of the part to be whole, the desire of the hurt to be healed, the aspirations that we all sense in our better moments, at least, to grow and to learn, and to expand our horizons, to want to know more, to understand, to become, to unfold, that longing, that desire, <laughs> those aspirations, that's the spiritual love we're talking about. We're going to discuss it today for its redemptive qualities, the, the, the idea of love resurrecting, not only in a narrow religious sense, but in the larger sense of of even the alchemical uh, unfolding or uplifting of uh, lead to gold, for example, or the refinement of gold from 14 carat to 18 carat. And, uh, of course, there's pressure, you know, to get gold out of ore. The old hermetic alchemist would put the gold ore into an oven called an athanor and turn the heat up real high. And what that did was burn off the dross, so-called, the impurities, everything that was not gold would be burned away, leaving the gold. And so that's a classic metaphor for the way in which love has not just the warm, fuzzy presence of a hug, you know, or, or love-making, or just holding hands and feeling that connection, but also the heartache and the heartbreak that inevitably has to be part of the yin and the yang, the in-breath and the out-breath, the peaks and the valleys, if you will, of love, for even love itself has to breathe. And the heartache, the broken heart, is a way of burning off the dross. Everything that dies is something that's not real, and what's left is the part of love that is real. So that's a brief introduction to our topic for the day today, love as a redeemer, as a redemptive agent, and the esoteric qualities of love, the role that love plays in philosophy, and uh, even a more esoteric or mystical view of uh, religion, as you begin to understand that, uh, understand it better. The higher heart represents the soul and so the frequencies of love would run from the low chakras up through the solar plexus which is emotional again a little less self-centered a little more caring a little sweeter kind of love and then the higher frequencies come up into the heart and soul so to speak which is forgiveness and compassion uh, the highest frequencies of love where the separative self falls away. And that's one of the scary things about love, is that in order for us to feel the merging, the, the harmonizing and the unity that love offers, 
we have to let go of our identity with the separate part, you see. And it's scary to let go of the separative self, even though we long for the unity. And therein is the paradox, you know. On one hand, we we want the merging and the feeling of loved, loving, and lovable, but we fight for the right to be separate. And uh, that's what marriage is about, and dedicated, committed partnership. It's about uh, letting go of the separative aspects of the ego, uh, dropping your defensiveness and your right to be right and stand up for yourself. Which self are you standing up for, you see? There is a self. It's like this is the idea of the soul as existing between the one and the many, between unity and diversity, is the the soul or love as consciousness shares the ground of God, so to speak, and knows itself both as the one thing, the one life, and as an extension that can further extend into the separated form nature. This is part of the philosophy that I really love, working around these trinities and finding the magic in the middle. It's always the heart and the soul. On some turn of the spiral, it's the middle. It's, if you will, the magnetic field around what seem to be opposite poles in a bar magnet. But if we assign spirit and matter to the bar magnet, for example, consciousness or love, is the magnetic field around it. And I'm going to share from my website today a lot of the material because I'd like to introduce it to you as a resource. Many people visit the website, but I can tell by the length of time you spend here that a lot of it's not being read or explored. On the other hand, I do get email occasionally from people who've explored my website theagelesswisdom.com and they've found some of the cool articles and and really dig it. So I'm going to share a bit from the website directly today around this most central concept. You know, in the New Testament of, of, the, of the Christian uh, teachings, in John it says simply, God is love. And there are other references to where there is no love no compassion, no forgiveness, for example. Uh, there can be no love, and you can't know anything about your source or your connection to all things. And that is a very lonely existence. If we begin to think in a philosophical sense of God as the one thing, the ultimate unity, then consciousness or spiritual love would be the glue that holds it all together, don't you see? How does the one become so many without being diminished or affected? This is an ancient riddle that philosophers have wrestled with for time out of mind from all times and in all cultures. And the idea is there has to be a middle element. There has to be something between spirit and matter that sits at the interface of energy and the physical material world that uh, that reflects the energy, you see, that is an outpicturing 
frozen light, if you will, of that energy, some element between unity and diversity, between the one and the many, some middle place. And that's the magnetic field around the bar magnet, you see. That's the that's the unifying or, or harmonizing agent. That's the glue. In Freemasonry, for example, the bricks that the Freemason sees actual laying of bricks uh, for buildings and such is an allegory for the bricks of thought forms and emotional forms. And it's really consciousness that is the mortar that holds the bricks together. Consciousness is the blue. And again, we think of love as being cohesive and sort of sticky and, and uh, uh, magnetic, you know, magnetic, I'm attracted to you, cohesive, like uh, some sort of chemical affinity that we have. So what is this again? A longing of the part to be whole. That's one of my favorite ways of explaining love in the central, <laughs> in every sense, the center of centers uh, of all of the mysteries and all of the great philosophies and all of the great religions center on the idea of love. And it is a great mystery. And it's incredibly paradoxical and very, very challenging. And we'll just play around with the concept a little bit today, but I'm sure we're just going to scratch the surface. But that's the way it is in, in these types of studies. So let me, uh, let me visit my website here with a click on my mouse. And uh, I'm going to read a little bit off of the uh, home page about the nature of love. Uh, not a whole lot. I'll talk more than I'll, I'll discuss this more than I'll read. But this is some of the more careful wording on my site. So I thought, why try to replicate it? I'll just share it with you. And I'm describing love as consciousness. Our topic today, love is the redeemer, the redemptive agent, that which improves and refines and uplifts. It is truth. It is consciousness. It is also the wisdom, hence the ageless wisdom. And the wisdom as spiritual love, as consciousness, is four things. It is metaphysical in that it is consciousness or the spiritual force, the glue, the cohesive nature, um, betwixt and between, behind and within all physical form. Okay? The idea that everything that is in physical dense somehow is a reflection of consciousness. That there is a thought form behind everything that exists in the physical world. It's as if the thought is a seed, as in the law of attraction or the secret, or even a kind of a wire frame or a matrix of energy around which things organize. First think of the organizing in terms of opportunities, events and circumstances, situations and relationships, but then even congealing into physical things. All right. So the wisdom 
in in this particular model, again, the beauty of mysticism is there is no one right way. So all of this is designed to be uh, taken in and worked with, like clay. You know, put some warmth into it, work with it, soften it up, make it your own. I'm just trying to give you that wireframe, a little bit of a you know skeletal outline, a, a blueprint, so to speak of the ageless wisdom, the kind of philosophical truths that form a perennial philosophy or a kind of a consensus. But the idea is you've got to make it your own. So this would be the first quality of spiritual love, is that it is consciousness, the force behind all form. It's as if thoughts themselves or the will aspect your intention, your free will is an energy, but love is a force that pushes. If you know Ohm's law, electricity works the same way. Um, amperage is like the energy or the free will. That's the, the volume of the thought, so to speak. And voltage is the electromagnetic force that it's even called the EMF, the electromagnetic force. Voltage is the pressure behind the amperage. Okay? And thoughts and feelings have that same kind of relationship in the mind of human beings, which is a lower correspondence of divine will and divine love, don't you see? So there is such a thing as divine will, and the second quality of divinity would be the will to love. Right, and that would be the heart and the soul of things, or consciousness, the first quality we're talking about. The second, the wisdom is mystical in its emphasis on the spiritual path of self-initiated self-realization, largely free of ego-based masters and dogmatic religious doctrine. In other words, the master is within. You'll hear me say this a lot. I am not a master. Beware of anyone who calls himself or herself a master. For those who know, don't say. If you were a master, the last thing you would do is declare yourself one. The ma the, we needed gurus and masters, and we will always need teachers. But the role of the teacher in this time, in this day and age, is to point to you and say, your master is within you. I am your. I may be your teacher, but the master is within. The kingdom is within. The master is within. You do not lack for the ultimate credibility <laughs> or source of information. It's available to you. And it runs the gamut from knee-jerk instinct to the highest and most refined intuition with logic sitting somewhere in the middle. But self-realization, that spiritual love is consciousness, it is truth, it's, it's to many mystics the only thing that's real, and it is the means by which you realize yourself and watch the nature of that self evolve from separative through harmonious toward unitive, don't you see? through the very magnetic and cohesive nature of love. Now, for a lot of you, you're going, wow, this is sort of out there. 
what, Michael take a hit of acid this morning before he did the uh, <laughs> the webinar? If it sounds out there, I know I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you, but that's the nature of esoteric uh, philosophy. And it's not really hard. It's just new. And you play with it. Approach it playfully. We're talking about love, after all. And connection. You know, and the idea that ultimately we're one thing, just one mind, just one heart at work in the universe. But we, like a prism breaks up white light into all these different colors, we're, we're broken up into these diverse and separate forms, and we gotta find our way back to the, back to the garden, back to the oneness, and guess what? Love is the path. Love is the way, don't you see? Um, love is so many things that these kinds of paradigms have their limitations, and I'll just offer you a series of paradigms or models here today. Thirdly, uh, from my homepage at theagelesswisdom.com, the wisdom or love as consciousness is magical, the essence of magic, in that love is the ability to both manifest and refine form, to make things happen, whether it's healing, uh, simply learning and understanding, or physical healing, or emotional healing, or actually manifesting, again, opportunities, relationships, circumstances, and voila, with a puff of smoke, even physical things. It doesn't come quite like the TV and the movies with the wave of a wand, the puff of smoke, and something appears, but a way can be made. That's what magic is about. Think of it first of all. Anytime you think of the way in which love is consciousness magnetizes and uh, manifests and also refines that which is already in manifestation, um, think of it less as, you know, cartoon magic like voila and some physical object appears. Uh, or even the secret, the video in the book sort of suggests that's what it's about, cars and Ferraris and, and big houses and stuff like that. What it's about is magnetizing opportunity, you see, creating organized fields of energy around uh, refined ideas, whether it's healing an individual physically or emotionally, healing a relationship or healing a political system, healing a government or an economy, healing the world. Again, the longing of the part to be whole. You feel it. It's called love. But it's so much more than an emotion. And then, fourthly, the wisdom is contemplative in its approach to God or the absolute or the source via a feeling that is beyond any kind of physical feeling, emotional feeling, or feeling of thought, if you will. Some thoughts have feelings, like a ha, that's a, a thought, with a, that's a mental feeling. There are physical feelings, emotional feelings, mental feelings. But when you still the body and allow the mind to become quiet and the emotional nature to become calm, there is a passion that remains that is neither physical nor mental nor emotional. 
It's very refined. It's a very high frequency. It's a very peaceful uh, feeling. Uh, it's it's many people experience it as golden silence, absolute stillness, the mirrored lake, the glass lake, perfect peace, completely undisturbed. If I could use a word that way, undisturbed. All right. So it's so many things. That's why we keep calling it the mysteries, mysticism, the mystery school, because this is a path. This is not a destination to an understanding. You don't ever arrive at an understanding of love, at least not in this form. It's, it's certainly questionable and debatable to what extent one ever becomes pure love. But that level of realization or enlightenment is what I think is usually attributed to a realized master like the Christ that was Jesus of Nazareth or uh, in his Buddha nature or the Buddha nature of Siddhartha Gautama uh, and his Buddha nature and his Christos. All right, that level, and certainly there have been others, I suspect, that have evolved beyond the need to come back here, but they come back here anyway to try to teach us something and leave a little bit behind. But we're going to talk again today about how to access this, not only through teachings, audio programs like this, webinars, uh, podcasts, what have you, but uh, and books, of course, and, and other classes and such, but also, uh, and perhaps primarily, through contemplation, through meditation and reflection. Uh, I, I think there's three points to make when it comes to unfoldment of consciousness or developing higher consciousness or expanded awareness. There has to be study, there has to be meditation, and there has to be mindfulness, all three of those. And be mindful in your meditation, of course, or it wouldn't be meditation, and be mindful in your study and be mindful about being mindful because life is so seductive. You know, the real temptation is uh, not to think dirty thoughts or to eat too much or uh, to drink too much or to steal people's stuff. The real temptation is to believe you are that that you are the separated stuff, that you are the physical body, or you are the separated existence. That's the temptation, you know, to to identify as being physical, separated, and nothing more. <laughs> That's where these religious, really strict admonitions against um, sex and, um, uh, you know, drinking wine or spirits or... Um, uh, even wearing makeup or going to movies is forbidden by some of the fundamentalists in Judaism and Christianity, certainly, and in Islam as well. This idea that anything that is not spiritual is not redeemable. It can't be redeemed. If it's physical, it's bad. Anything that exists, if it feels good in form, that's a bad thing rather than a path to an even better thing. Maybe lust is a path to romantic love, which is a path to spiritual love, is forgiveness and compassion and loving kindness. It's a 
it's again, uh, it's Jacob's ladder. It's the chakras. It's the spine, the caduceus. The, uh, you know, that's what the magic wand and the wizard's staff is, is is about. Is this this stairway to heaven, the the spine or the chakra system? It's often thought of better as a spiral, a spiralic staircase, than just a vertical pillar, but. That's in the simplest terms, that's the ultimate bar magnet with spirit at the top and matter at the bottom. Father, spirit, mother, matter. And in the middle is the heart, the love that we're talking about here today. I want to go to uh, a little article that I wrote. It's on my website under the link Wisdom Nuggets. And it's simply called What is Love? And I have a picture here of the Tin Man one of my favorite archetypes, uh, who goes to Oz with Dorothy and the straw man and the lion, and he's looking for a heart. He has no heart. And this is all of us. You know, the idea that the straw man and the tin man and the cowardly, so-called cowardly lion, are three parts of Dorothy's persona uh, escape most people. Let's Let's start there. Dorothy is the every person, the every man, every woman in this. It's you and me in this story. And the character she meets on the way to see the wizard in Oz so that she can get home again, not back to Kansas, but going to heaven, don't you see, to Nirvana, to higher consciousness, where we're ever better at manifesting and refining forms like feeding hungry people and ending war and creating justice where there is injustice and, and healing the sick. That's what we're here to do, you see. That's really the only thing that we're here to do. And uh, what better way to do that than to find your heart? And that was what the Tin Man was all about. So I, you know, I'm looking for my brain and I'm looking for some courage too, but it's it's really the heart it's the, it's the tin man that I've always really identified with. So Here's a little article about love, what is love, and I say, uh, for centuries, poets, philosophers, theologians, artists, and mystics have done their best to define the elusive and the ineffable qualities of love. In fact, love exists on many levels, from the lowest lust and obsession, through caring and sharing, to romance, to forgiveness and compassion, even sacrifice. This is the love your enemies. It's easy to love your lover. <laughs> uh, easier to love someone you love than somebody you don't like, let alone somebody who frightens you. Uh, the role of refusing to be afraid is very important in spiritual love. Fearlessness very important in spiritual love. Back to the article. Most interesting in the nature of love, uh, or, or most interesting is the nature of love as consciousness, the mysterious and magnetic nature of love that allows the one life to manifest in so many diverse and antagonistic physical forms without being diminished in any way. As author Anne Marl Lindbergh has written, only love can be divided endlessly and still not diminish. That's a beautiful quote. And 
this is a contemporary woman. This is the the wife uh, of uh, Lindbergh the Aviator, Charles Lindbergh the Aviator, who's buried here in Maui, actually. And uh, she maybe also, she wrote a, a book about roles and masks and identity in the 1950s, I think, um, called Gift from the Sea. But what a wonderful, what a wonderful phrase. Only love can be divided endlessly and still not diminish. It's oceanic. Again, it's, maybe this is a tired allegory, forgive me, but a fish does not have to worry about whether there will be water at its destination. There is no destination at which the fish can arrive where there is not water, and there is no place that you can go or be where you are not love. And it's not that you have love, it's that you are love the way the fish is the ocean, you see, an integral part of the ocean. You cannot be separated from your source. You can't be separated from love. Indeed, love is the reason you can't be separated from your source. Now, play with that. You know, this is not something like a form that should become crystallized. This is something you should work with and play with every day, your concepts and, and understanding of the nature of love, that which connects you to every other thing is love. And the only thing that's eternal and the only thing that's infinite, what you love, who you love, that you love, is your creation that lasts forever. It's not only infinite, it's also eternal. What you love, what you care about, what you put your attention on, what's really important to you, you see. More important than what you do. Now, opening your eyes and moving out into the world and taking action is essential, obviously. We have to walk or talk. But never underestimate the power of becoming conscious of the fact that love is what you are. The love that we're looking for, we've already got, but it's not a possession that we hold. It's more what we are. Continuing here, love is everywhere, ever-present. Love is caring, kindness, affection, tolerance, patience, generosity, forgiveness, compassion, Love promotes peace and growth, healing, humor. Think about it. Humor, laughter, that's love. Harmony. Transmutation. Here's the alchemy again. This is the metamorphosis. You know, the caterpillar to the butterfly. That's love. Okay. The water to wine. In the Christian myths and miracles. The lead to gold in the uh, old alchemy. This is refinement. This is redemption. This is the bigger mystery most Christians miss when they make Calvary and Christ's crucifixion about blood and sins. They miss the love that is the forgiveness here. Not all of them, but that's that's a concern that many of us have about misunderstanding uh, the the crucifixion and the larger idea of redemption, uh, redemption or uh, refinement, atonement 
is another word. At one coming back to the one, you see. That's an uplifting. That's coming home again, jiggity jig. Um, I said unfoldment. This is evolution and uh, atonement or at one unity with all diverse things. Now, that's not a collapse of diversity into unity or unity consuming diversity. Um, to some extent, in Eastern philosophies where, it's, where life is described as an illusion or a delusion, what they're saying is there's unity behind the veil, you see. that You live in this world of all these separated forms, but they're really like different branches of the one tree, different fingers of, of a single hand, so to speak. And yet we fight with each other, and, you know, man's inhumanity to man, the cruelty that we can uh, perpetrate upon each other is, is mind-boggling at times. This is, this is, again, when you begin to open your heart to compassion, to... Uh, allowing yourself to love from such a vulnerable place that you suffer the um, the circumstances of, of of humanity that your love is so strong you know can I bear my illumination that kind of thing can I bear that much can I can I handle that much love you see because again it's always a double-edged sword not that not that there's a good edge and a bad edge, but there's a sweetness to love, but there's also the heartbreak, the heartache that is necessary for that growth. Again, like burning the dross off the the ore in the athanor. Adversity in life crushes you and breaks your heart. And out of those ashes the Phoenix rises, just as we discussed last week in our webinar about standing on the verge just a day and a half before Tuesday's election and everything that we've felt since. Here's a few more quotable quotes for you. Uh, one of my favorites, hardly uh, a mystic, if you think of this woman, uh, a poet, well-known poet, Emily Dickinson, yet here's a mystical side to her. She obviously tapped in when she wrote the following, that love is all there is, is all we know of love. Isn't that beautiful? When I began to understand love on this level, I felt like, geez, why didn't somebody tell me sooner? You know, why, why is this being uh, kept under a veil? Why do I have to go to the wizard to find out that we already have what we're looking for. Why do I have to go to Oz? You know, I mean, I didn't finish the story. You know the story. You know the ending. <laughs> the scarecrow, the tin man, the cowardly lion, and for that matter, even Dorothy already have what they're looking for. So do we. These are the things that make these stories timeless, by the way. Excuse me, I have a little drink here, my little coffee this morning. 
the founder of psychosynthesis, also a uh, student of the philosophy known as theosophy, Roberto Assagioli, defined love, spiritual love, as the divine homesickness. Love is the divine homesickness. That's what love is. All of your love. The love you have for your dogs and your kitties. The love you have for each other, for people that you love. The love that you have for certain places that you have visited in your life. You know, this is... This is part of the culture of Hawaii that I'd like to talk more about in the future, not to the exclusion of all these other things, but the word aloha and the whole aloha spirit is so mystical because it is inclusive, absolutely inclusive in its nature. And Aloha is an attitude that you and I are not separated that uh, I see divinity in you and I know the divin something of the divinity in me and that's our connection, that's our heartfelt not romantic necessarily, it doesn't mean I want to kiss you on the face I may not even want to hang out with you but I, <laughs> I still have aloha for you you see um, I, I'd like to talk more about some of the well, it's really shamanism. Uh, the the uh, Huna and Kahuna priests, uh, this this mysticism of indigenous peoples is really shamanism. That's really what it's about. And central to that, the idea that in spite of the appearance of all these separated forms, there's just one thing at work, and and ultimately that's love. It is of the will aspect. The ultimate, the absolute, the God, source, creator has to have a will aspect. But it's also understood to have a will to love. Right. An energy and a force. Plato gets credit for love is the longing of the part to be whole. Which is on my blog. I, uh, I use that as the sort of subtitle at theagelesswisdom.blogspot.com might want to check that out if you've never been there that's a comment blog here's Rumi here's Rumi the great Persian poet your task is not to seek for love but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it and again it's like oh Wow, why didn't anybody ever tell me that? Your job is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it, because it hurts. Because there's the appearance of loss. Because as a result of what religious people, the Christians and Jews call the fall of man, we have lost to some extent our connection to our divinity and we have to rebuild that bridge, that connection. And love is the way. And peace is the way. You see. Very important that we know that peace as a meditative state, inner peace, love, 
loving kindness, compassion, are not outcomes or results so much as the path. They can be a result in terms of putting one foot in front of another, but ultimately it's really a path. There is no getting there. And uh, this should sound familiar to some of you. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father who is in heaven, that you may be what is heaven. It's the repository of the souls. What is that? It's love, right? Without separation. The middle ground between the one and the many. A place, imagine, where you know that you're the one life, but you have a unique point of view. You're individuated, but you share the ground of oneness. Can you get to a place where you know both things are true? That would be the middle. That would be the love. And by the way, that Love Your Enemies quote, there's several versions of that. That one's Matthew uh, 5, 44 and 45. Here's uh, that John quote that I mentioned earlier. This is actually 1 John 4, 16. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Sort of reminds you of Christ saying, For I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The Christ, the Buddha nature... Buddha and the Christ represent the wisdom, this middle place between spirit and matter, this heaven, this this oversoul, right? This network where all souls come together, so to speak. And it's a little confusing at first because most of us, given our background, if we're Westerners anyway, I got an email from somebody in Bangkok this week used to listen to me on the radio in Los Angeles and went to his paradise in Bangkok. And uh, uh, I forgot I forgot your name, or I identify you personally by first name anyway, but thanks for the uh, Reddit uh, this morning. And it's very cool. So we have a listener now in Bangkok, Thailand. That is a beautiful place, very Buddhist, very nice place. Well, I've interrupted myself, and now I've lost my point, so let me go back to the, forgot which tangent I was on here. The idea that God is love. Uh, I, I like this too. This is Eric Fromm. And he sort of defined love in four ways. He talks about infantile love following the principle of I love because I am loved. A lot of folks get old and die and never move beyond the infantile, which is I love because I am loved. You don't love me, then I don't love you. This is, you know, what's in it for me stuff. A more mature love, Fromm says, follows the principle, I am loved because I love. Immature love says, I love you because I need you. Mature love says, I need you because I love you. I think that's nice. Something to play around with. Um. Let's do a couple more. There's no end to these. I have so many of them here. This is someone uh, named, I'm not sure the pronunciation because it's French, but 
Henry or Henri uh, Nguyen or Nguyen. He's probably a famous guy, and I should be ashamed not to know him. But He said, your body needs to be held and to hold, to be touched and to touch. None of these needs is to be despised, denied, or oppressed. But you have to keep searching for your body's deeper need, the need for genuine love. Every time you're able to go beyond the body's superficial desires for love, you are bringing your body home and moving toward integration and unity. Do you hear what he's saying? Isn't that sweet? And, I mean, love-making, physical love-making, sex, sexuality, erotica, has a certain irony that you use your body in physical contact to escape the body through the sense of merging. And, and, and this is what Tantra is all about. You're using sex and sexuality as a sacred practice, a spiritual practice. Uh, it could be argued that uh, that's what eroticism means, or it could be argued that this is uh, a much higher turn of the spiral, a much more refined approach than simple lusty uh, eroticism. It's all in the, your definitions, I guess, the way you use words. Uh, let's see. Do you believe this is Jimi Hendrix? When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. Isn't that great? That's Hendrix, man. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. You see, the love of power is not love at all, is it? If you had love, you wouldn't need power. Not in the sense of patriarchy and power over and force and dominance, that kind of power. There are different kinds of power. Is there a capital P power? Yeah, it's will, divine will. And again, divine love would be the force behind it that pushes it. Dr. Martin Luther King, speaking of love as a force, said, Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. See, it's that magical. Love is that powerful. It transmutes and refines. What if after 9-11, we identified troublemakers in the Middle East, went to their sympathizers, if not the troublemakers themselves, and began to feed them and give them books. What do you think, who do you think would win? Actually, that's what the Taliban and Al-Qaeda is doing in Afghanistan and Pakistan right now. There's a lot of poverty there, obviously, and a big earthquake recently in Pakistan. That's a very earthquake-prone area. America's support is meager or non-existent, but the Taliban and Al-Qaeda go in and give food and, and water and medical services to the people that suffer the most. Now, who do you think they're going to ally with, you see? You can win wars with love. You can give people bread and books, see? What if... What if what if our B-52s flew over Baghdad and rained down bread and books? You don't have to drop them, actually. But Let's do a few more, and then we'll check the uh, comments page. If you're listening live today, November 9th of 2008, and you're uh, uh, on the phone, 
you could consider going to the web. If you're already on the web, you'll see down at the bottom a area where you can submit a comment or a question, put your, your name uh, and city in there, and, and I'll go to those in just a few minutes. Rainer Maria Rilke, a great metaphysical poet, has written, For one human being to love another, that is perhaps the most difficult of our tasks. The ultimate, the last test and proof, the work for which all other work is but preparation. For one human being to learn to love another. You know, the science fiction, Robert, uh, science, uh, got ahead of myself, science fiction writer Robert Heinlein, Stranger in a Strange Land, he said, love is a condition in which the happiness of another person is essential to your own. I think that's very nice. Tom Robbins, we waste time looking for the perfect lover instead of creating the perfect love. See, we want to be victims of love. We want to fall into love. We want it to come to us. We don't want to have to <laughs> do anything for it. This uh, is surprising, too. This is Ann Landers in one of her better moments. She said, if you have love in your life, it can make up for a great many things you lack. If you don't have it, no matter what else there is, it will never be enough. That's true. That's really true. Um, well, there's more, but I think I'll... Uh, I think I'll leave it to you guys to find. There's also under Wisdom Nuggets on my website, not only this article I was just reading from, What is Love?, but it also puts you on the article, um, Good versus Evil and Love versus Fear, where I talk about good conquering evil as St. George slayed the dragon, that's the classic archetype for good over evil. But love conquers fear in a very different way. Love does not kill fear or eradicate fear by defeating it. It, it refines it. It resurrects it. It improves it. And uh, this is perhaps the most esoteric aspect of love, the idea that you can bring love into a situation as a mediator, as the middle. There was a great movie that was made in the late 1920s called Metropolis. Actually, it was remade in the 70s with a rock and roll soundtrack. It had Pat Benatar in it. I think Freddie Mercury and Queen were in it, but it was just like 1929 uh, black and white German film called Metropolis, about the year 2029, when there was no more middle class, and, um, you know, as if uh, the Bush crime family finally got their way, and they had eliminated the middle class completely, plundered the economy, ripped off all of our pensions and our health care, and uh, so in this fictional 2029, the year 2029, or I think 2019, something like that, look at the future, you just have the ruling class, the capitalists, and then the workers who are like the, 
the drones, the worker bees who live under the city and work in the factories. And there is a character, a woman, who uh, represents these workers, and she falls in love with the son of the capitalist. And together, as the heart, they have this romance, they play the heart, they, they become the mediators in the end between the head and the body, between the management and the workers, between the, the capitalists and the factory workers, you see, and puts their hands together, saying that fear divides and love unites. This is part of the magic of love, that it is, again, unitive. It's the harmonizing agent. It not only allows the one to, to, to create the many without being diminished, for love to be divided up endlessly and never be diminished or even affected in any way, but love then is the path by which that which has been separated finds its way back to the source again, you see. This is the heart and soul of esotericism. And so this article I, I refer you to um, talks about that, how we can and really need to refine the whole idea of good conquering evil to a more sophisticated understanding of love saving fear, uplifting it. Because fear is just ignorance. Love is understanding. There is that component as well. Or fear is a darkness. It's not a force that, uh, you know, uh, evil is not a force that opposes good. Not really. It just seems that way. It's really just ignorance. And uh, it's like darkness. It doesn't really oppose light. It's just the absence of light. And fear, that is the absence of of good. It's ignorance that doesn't have yet the understanding. You bring understanding into ignorance, you bring love into fear, you bring light into darkness. There's no battle here. You know, ignorance yields to love and understanding. If if the understanding is brought as love in a loving and harmonious way, see, we can't wield our love like a weapon and, and kill and slay at most if love is traditionally thought of as a shield and the other component would be love as truth which would be the sword but love as truth the sword of the spiritual warrior doesn't kill anything it just renders the veils of illusion it cuts through the miasma so that we can through the fog so that we can see the truth on the other side that's that's the sword of truth. And then love, of course, being the shield of the spiritual warrior, which attracts, because of its magnetic and cohesive nature, attracts love and repels that which is not love. Right? So check that article out, too. And there's a lot of other cool things on the website. I don't talk about it a whole lot, but there it is. Uh, the Ageless Wisdom Com. Remember the T-H-E, theagelesswisdom.com. When you hit the splash page, there's just a couple of things you can do. You can hit the home page to come on in, and then you'll see all the links on the left. It's real easy to navigate. You can hit the big button that says free newsletter. If you're not getting the newsletter that tells you about this webinar every week, you can sign up for it there. And then the third button on that page takes you to FocusPassion.com. 
If you're listening now on the web to this program, you'll see similar links in the lower right. Unleash Inner Peace will take you to FocusPassion.com, and then my website, the audio archives, and the newsletter and comment blog, those links are also there uh, in the lower right, right under that big button. So let's go to the question and answer page, or the comment page, and see who's on today, who's saying hi, who's where, what's going on. Out of Pittsburgh, John says, aloha, and aloha back to you, John, and Carol in Habra with us again this week. Thank you, Carol. Nice to hear from you. And Patricia Vega in Los Angeles says hello and aloha. She says she's rooting for Obama. Very excited. Sharing the love. All the hope. Uh, let's see. Here's a fellow whose name is Michael also. And he says, you're amazing. I like your lesson today very much. Could you elaborate on the soul? I missed the Trinity part and God reflecting himself into many. And why did God reflect himself into separate parts? Aha! Well, that's another story for another day, but uh, I'll, I'll uh, not deny you a short answer. Uh, nobody really knows, of course, and anybody who would claim to know would be arrogant beyond belief, so we don't know. But some of the guesses are to experience. Why would an all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere equally present being need to create a physical universe populated by its separate uh, diverse forms to have separate diverse experiences? It's one thing to know all things. It's another thing to experience it. That's why life is so rich and so beautiful, though painful, right? There will always be suffering. There will always be pain in physical form. And to learn to suffer it with love is about the best that we can do because that redeems the, uh, the whole process. Yeah, and the soul is an individuated point of view of, of spirit. It's uh, a lot of sloppy literature that equates soul and spirit, uses the terms interchangeably. Uh, again, I'm not telling you the one right way. I'm just offering a consensus that, uh, uh, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Mother, what's called Holy Spirit, just because he had to take women out of the Trinity, is the divine will, divine love, and intelligent activity in physical form. Um, that would also be spirit consciousness in matter. Working with these different permutations or variations of the divine trinity is um, an important place to begin in mysticism. Even the bar magnet we talked about, having a north pole, a south pole, and a magnetic field, or the, the king, prince, queen trinity of the ancient hermetic Egyptian uh, wisdom. This trinity comes up again and again. It's the, the Pythagorean triangle, the three-legged stool, um, it's it's um, you can't have a two without a three. There's always got to be a middle of some sort. Let's see. Does self-realization also include realization of the many cells we have other than the big cell? Uh, that's a great question. Hard to answer briefly. 
uh, don't know for sure what you mean by that. I'm suspecting by many selves you mean other incarnations, past lives, future lives. You may, however, be talking about the many selves in a given lifetime, so-called sub-personalities or our hidden agenda that are often in contradiction or at cross-purposes, each of us having many selves at once uh, from a persona point of view or many lifetimes from the soul point of view. Um, you tell me what you realize. I'm the last person that's going to tell you what you cannot do and what you cannot realize. So, yes, it is said that there is a level of mastery where you can remember all of your past lifetimes. And short of that, be in touch with your many sub-personalities and your, your hidden agenda, the different faces and roles that the ego plays in its attempt to uh, remain hidden, ultimately. Some great questions here. Um, let's see, Rosa from Santa Monica says, Love is like a candle that never diminishes by lighting other candles. That's really nice, yeah, passing the flame on. And again, flame, warmth, heart uh, is a good one. I often think of it as like radio also. Love, the oceanic part of love. You know, if we went to a well and started pu pulling buckets of water out of the well, well, that's finite. And each bucket of water I pull out of the well would conceivably diminish the amount of water left in the well until the next time it rains or fills with the aquifer or whatever the well is tapped into. But in the simplest sense, every bucket of water I pull diminishes the well. But a radio or TV signal, no matter how many radios you have turned on, um, that doesn't diminish the signal for the other people listening because the radio signal is everywhere equally present. And the allegory of the flame, Monica Rose, uh, Rosa, uh, is uh, a good one in that way. That's really beautiful. So pass the light. Love and light, you know, that's that's pretty core. In Los Angeles, Jessica says hello. And uh, let's see, who do we have? Mona from Fullerton says... Shamanism is rooted in emotion and love and not the mind per se. The love is focused in the mind, though, and that's the way they conduct in healing. Thanks. You're a great teacher. Well, thank you, uh, Mona, and I would agree with that. The interplay of the mind and the heart is, uh, again, part of the mystery. I've talked about it today as energy and force, as um uh, as as power, the thought would be the energy or the power or the purpose, the will, and the love is the passion. That would be the force or the energy behind it. But I know uh, in many schools of shamanism, power is a bad word because it refers only to patriarchy and dominance, uh, whereas uh, there is the power of love, which is different. It's 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 not power over, it's power shared. And so all of our terms have to be worked with and played with. But I think it's important to see 
the lower correspondence of the three in the mental, emotional, and physical nature, and then the spiritual nature of man stands above and behind uh, those lower three. That's the meta in metaphysics, the above or behind. Or another way of thinking of that is the way the four elements fit into the lower three. And this is found in much shamanism also, as I understand it, which is the um, the earth, the element of earth would correspond to the physical body, the physical form nature of things. Water, in this model, would correspond to the emotional nature. Uh, fire would correspond to the mental nature, although there's many, many models where the emotion is fire and, and the whole integrated self has a fire. Um, in fact, the three flames is another model. That's part of what's fun about philosophy. You have to have many models. So physical, emotional, and mental from the ground up would be earth, water, and fire. And then air is the spiritual consciousness, the love we've been talking about today. The higher heart that is above the lower three, air being in the mental, emotional, and physical nature, in the mind and the heart and the physical result. Okay, the physical body in the world out there. So consciousness, the element of air, would stand above or behind all three. So that's how we get the four into the three. Plato's mind, body, and soul, for example, is not the same trinity. He works it a little different. To, to Plato, the mental and emotional nature were one. Even today, uh, you have doctors... MDs, medical doctors of the physical body. You have mental doctors, psychologists, and therapists and such, but they include the emotional nature. You don't have a separate field for the emotional doctor. So mental health includes the mental and emotional nature, yet increasing numbers of us, I think, want emotional intelligence to be seen as both distinct and integrated, you see. Just as spiritual development has to be integrated with personal development. How ironic that we have to develop the ego before we transcend it. But you do. <laughs> there is no end run around personal development on the way to spiritual development. That's why we see so many gurus uh, falling is they believe their own propaganda. They put themselves on a pedestal and they get brittle and when they fall, they humpty dumpty, you know. They crack into a million pieces. Best just not to get on the pedestal in the first place. Uh, let's see. If, let me refresh this page and see if we have any more and then we'll do our visualization exercise. Uh, let's see. I'm having a hard time reading this. Hold on a second. Every once in a while. Lamia. I guess it's L-A-M-E-A. -E Lamia in Fresno. I'm not sure if that's male or female. But he or she says, I'm Muslim. And in the Holy Book of Koran, God says, I was a hidden treasure, but I need to see myself and know my real self. So he created the universe to know himself. Yeah, exactly. That, that's <laughs> that's a great way of saying it, right? And the Sufi would the Sufi is the um, 
Muslim mystic or the mystic of Islam. And the mystic would say exactly that. You know, that's what Rumi is trying to... All of these beautiful love poems that sound like Rumi longing for his, uh, you know, romantic partner and sexual partner uh, is often for his teacher, Shams, who may have been a lover. It's hard to know. But ultimately is the love of God, the longing of the part to be whole. There it is, the longing of the hurt to be healed. To be incarnated, to come into form, hurts from birth on. It's full of pain. And uh, learning not to resist is to learn to let go of the pain. The, 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 what, what is that saying? A pain is inevitable, suffering is optional, or growth is inevitable, but suffering is an optional an option, that's all how you look at it. And then Irvine Roberts says, the master taught us to love thy neighbor as thyself, and what is done for the least of my brethren is done for me, which tells me that we are one interconnected. Yeah, I would say so. Karmic laws of you reap what you sow indicate what is done to others is done to us, the one. And we're obligated not to be separated but joined together in loving God. That's it. That's it. That's the whole idea. We have a smoke alarm going off in the other room. I don't know if you guys can hear that or not, but I know Doreen's working to get it turned off. We're in a new place, and every once in a while when you toast a piece of toast, the smoke alarm goes off. So <laughs> we'll try and get that fixed. Okay, so let's do our guided imagery, our visualization. And uh, we'll see if we can install, if you will, a, a sense of love as consciousness, love as truth, love as the higher self. So close your eyes and relax. Take a nice, slow, deep breath or two. And as you feel the letting go, Create and sense a feeling of relaxation. Feel muscles relaxing and unwinding. Oh, take another breath and uh, just feel the letting go. So safe. So relaxed. Imagine yourself going to a beautiful paradise. The safest and most peaceful and relaxing place you can imagine probably in nature probably with green trees and shrubs and grasses and sun drenched meadows and cool shady places and little bubbly streams spilling down the hillside a little lake or a pond and a beautiful day a perfect day where you hear birds singing as you allow my voice to go with you and guide you. Yeah, the feeling you're making it up is exactly the right feeling. Smell the fragrances of nature as you feel the gentle breezes blow across your face and through your hair. And find a place to sit, a place to 
be comfortable on the ground, sitting on a log or a tree stump or a big rock or maybe a little grassy patch beneath a shade tree. And feel connected to the earth. Feel plugged in or rooted as if you were like a tree or a flower, as if you had roots, like electromagnetic lines of force, a magnetic field. You're an electrical being. You have a magnetic field around you. Imagine it reaching into the earth, connecting you, grounding you to Mother Earth. And at the same time, at the very top of your head, imagine either a pencil-thin beam of laser light, you choose the color, or a gentle vortex, a little slowly, gently spinning whirlwind, a spiritual energy that funnels down right into the very top of your head, right into the crown, bringing a precipitation downward of spirit into matter. For all energy seeks the material world. That's what energy does. It wants to be grounded. Many, many, many years ago, human beings realized that they could protect their buildings from lightning by putting a path of least resistance, a lightning rod on top of the building that would help the lightning, the energy, find the earth. Here, come this way so you don't have to go through my barn and burn it down. Well, consider that you are the lightning rod not for the static electricity that we call lightning in the physical universe, but that you are a spiritual lightning rod, that you are the path spirit takes into form. And that it is the downward flow of the spirit into you that creates a magnetic lifting up and draws you toward an expanded awareness of who you are and what you're for. Don't you see? The downward and outward flow of spirit into matter creates an inward and upward growth, an evolution, a refinement, a resurrection, an atonement, at one moment. And so, how much love can you handle? Can you bear the burden of your illumination? Mare leaked, mare leaked, more light. Can you let go in your meditation even now? Let go even more of muscular tension. Let go of fear. Align yourself with and surrender to the only thing that is good and true and beautiful, the only truth, which is love. And the light by which we understand 
relationship of the one to the many, of unity to diversity, of the creator to its creation and its creatures. Be the conductor. Be the heart and soul, an open and receptive agent of transformation. Imagine, grounded to the earth, standing open and receptive to an impress of divine will through divine love. That you might be a worthy servant and understand the bigger picture, what you're here for and practical ways for you to be the love that you've looked for in your life, as if it were outside of you, and know now that not only is that love within you, but that you are that love. You are that middle, that conductor, that allows spirit to come into matter through consciousness. What form does that spirit take in matter? That's up to you. What ideas do you feed? What ideas do you birth? What ideas do you nourish? What do you care about? For if we obsess on the negative and care about vengeance and fear and hatred and separation, we compound the error. If instead we align our will with our best sense of divine will and will to love, not the love that comes to you or that you fall into, but to use your free will to seek a higher frequency of love, the will to love, kindness, forgiveness, compassion, love your enemy, feed them, give them shelter, heal their wounds, and make love and make Bring your love as light into the wilderness, into the darkness, simply by aligning yourself, as in this exercise, one of countless similar exercises you can do to be the path of least resistance, standing open and receptive to the impress of spiritual love as truth. It's the only thing that's real, eternal and infinite, coming through you as realization, as consciousness, as the ability to manifest in the image of divinity from a particular point of view, your love, based on what you care about, your priorities, what's important to you. And don't worry, the nature of you, that self, will become more inclusive and more harmonious and more universal 
as you bring more light into it and out into the world, the downward and outward flow lifting you up. Remind yourself that you are this middle agent, that you are the conductor in the path of least resistance, and that you can carry that with you into the world. As you reorient yourself now to the sound of my voice, remember the room in which you sit. And again, holding on to nothing, for love is already equally present everywhere. You bring it with you because you are that. And you breathe and you relax. And when you're ready, open your eyes, wide awake and alert, feeling all rested and refreshed and back in the room, and feeling that love, feeling that connection. And go share that in the world. Go give somebody a hug. Go comfort somebody who is sad or depressed or frightened. Go help somebody who's having a problem. As Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. Be the love. Give it away. Give to give, needing nothing in return. Give anonymously, even secretively. And don't tell anybody about your gifts and your giving, your volunteering and your generosity. For if you need even gratitude, even to be appreciated, You're limiting the love in your life, for love is its own reward, fully and completely. That's enough. Wish I had more time. Be sure and check out FocusPassion.com when you get a chance. We're getting ever closer to that upgrade. I'm going to tell you all about it when it happens. And get your friends to this free program as well, TheAgelessWisdom.com. And Remember, all the programs, all the past classes are archived under web teleconference. Just go to theagelesswisdom.com. Click on homepage to go inside, and then web teleconference. Also, our newsletter blog, and you can comment there, is theagelesswisdom.blogspot.com. All right? Theagelesswisdom.blogspot.com. You can comment there, too. Hey, Thanks so much for being here. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha.